Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Great honor and a privilege to be here with you. I think what Isaac and Emmanuel and even some of the area churches have put together here is, is a big deal. Um, it, it doesn't get much bigger than this in the way that you serve uh, the brothers and sisters in the area and help further their sanctification with stuff like this. So this is, this is big time, really. And uh, so it's great to see it. It's great to see everybody here. Um, you can be turning in your Bibles to Ephesians 5 again this morning. We're going to be zeroing in on 25 through 27. 25 through 27. While you're turning there, I do bring greetings from the brothers and sisters of FBC Holt. I brought a couple of them along with me. Um, and uh, so they are pleased uh, to see this conference up here. They have been praying even for this conference up here. And uh, so amazing even just to meet other brothers and sisters across the land or up the interstate. Um, it's, it's always a joyous, joyous occasion. So I am nothing but thrilled to be here and to help us take a look into uh, sanctification in marriage. Being washed in the Word is exactly what we're going to get into this morning. And I would argue that there's probably... Um, no greater mandate that Christ has given, especially men, than to love our wives as He loved His church and loves His church. I think when we get, begin to investigate this, it's going to prove to be uh, magnificent and, and way bigger than you and I can fathom, which will lead us husbands especially uh, to be people of prayer, I think, through this. We're going to be people who are dependent on the Lord Jesus to do in our marriages what only He can do, to do in our wives' hearts what only He can do. And uh, so as we come to our time here and, and walk away from it soon, uh, the main thing that I am hoping for, uh, striving for, laboring for, is that uh, men here this morning, I'm going to zero in on you, that, that we would be um, applying the Word of God to our wives' lives and hearts, and that we would be consistently and constantly praying that that Word would take root and do its work. Because you and I are not Christ. And the greatest need that our wives have, greatest need that we have, is Jesus. And so we're going to examine that here this morning. The first thing I want to do is read to you uh, the text that we're going to look at, that I'm going to reference, and then I'm going to tell you a quick story before we jump into Ephesians 5. So Genesis 2, 15 through 18, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 1 Peter 3.7 Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I was married almost 11 years ago uh, to my beloved Tiffany, who actually hails from Pattonsburg, just down the highway here. And my rehearsal night at the church, we were all gathered there to run through the ceremony, as you would expect. And I had all my groomsmen gathered, and we were waiting on my future wife and her bridesmaids to figure out how exactly they wanted this to look. And of course, we were over there goofing off. And so my pastor saw this as an opportunity to minister uh, to my groomsmen, especially most of whom at the time were not believers. And he told this story to them. He said, hey guys, I want to tell you a quick story. And so they gathered around and listened to him. He said, you know... There are cultures still today and throughout history that have kind of a dowry system when it comes to marriage. And so based upon um, the worth or the beauty of the woman, her family will present her along with a certain dowry uh, payment, uh, amount of livestock uh, to get for her the husband that they want for her. And so they'll kind of assess the value of who she is. You know, if she's a one-cow woman, uh, not very good. If she's a ten-cow woman, you know, they're going to the most eligible bachelor in the village and uh, presenting him with that. And he said there was a young man who was the most fit and eligible bachelor in the village and everybody was offering them, him, uh, their daughters, and with these great dowries and, and all of that, and he was turning them down, left and right, until this certain family offered him their daughter. They said, well, we might as well give it a shot. Uh, no, nobody else is, is making any leeway with him. And this woman in this village was what you would call that one cow woman didn't seem to be very valuable. Her beauty was kind of covered up. Um, nobody saw anything great in her. Well, and that's the one he took. And he took her and he married her to the shock of the village. And they went off and, and moved across the land to another place. And eventually they came back to inherit his father's property and he showed up with this woman, and everybody was confused. They said, you know, that's not the woman you left with, and well, surely you got rid of her and found somebody that was worth what you were worth, and so they thought good for him. And the amazing part is he was, had to reveal to them that that was the one cow woman that he left with. And my pastor was telling a story because he was trying to reveal what marriage is about. It's about the holiness of 
the woman that you're marrying so that in five years and 10 years and 15 years and 20 years and 50 years, Lord willing, she will be far more beautiful of spirit and of mind uh, than she was when you married her. And I remember uh, when my wife was coming down the aisle to be presented to me, um, to be quite honest, she looked like she was worth the whole feedlot. So I wasn't marrying a one-cow woman by any means. But she was, she was great. It was amazing. And, and I remember in that moment being reminded um, that I hadn't seen anything yet. That all, that all that glory and all that beauty that was coming towards me, presented to me by the grace of God, was not anything compared to what was going to be. I often feel like Forrest Gump and use his quote, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. And when my wife questions why I would marry somebody like her, like she's feeling down on herself and discouraged, I, I remind her, I said, the Lord was at work in you when I first met you. Therefore, my faith in Him says, according to Philippians, that He will complete that work at the day of Christ Jesus. So whatever your shortcomings are, whatever um, you were when you were presented to your husband, you had better, by the end of your time with him, become this sort of tin cow woman. This beautiful, glorious, magnificent creature. And I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. Because the goal of our marriages and our roles as husbands, and even the goals of of us who shepherd churches is that we would present these, these beings, these, these blood-bought creatures of Jesus to Him without spot or blemish and all beauty and all purity. That's the goal. That's what drives me every morning to get up and invest in the church that I'm responsible to shepherd and most importantly to invest in the wife that's been given to me. So that's the goal of our time here in Ephesians 5, 25-27. As we turn our attention there, I'll remind you in this section, verses 22-33, through 33, there's 115 words for the husband, 40 for the wives. That would equal 9 verses for the husband and 3 for the wives. That doesn't mean wives that you get off easy. That does mean, though, husbands, that you have a massive responsibility. And that goes all the way back to what I read in Genesis, right? That the Lord took, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To work means to toil, to labor. To keep means to protect, guard, or watch over this thing. And, and what is he given to do that? Well, you can surmise that Adam would be able to figure out how to build tools and things like that. But immediately following that, what I read to begin is that next he was given the word. He was given the command of God in doing this. His only defense, think about this, his only defense in protecting the garden is to keep God's word. He doesn't have any human uh, enemies. He doesn't have any animal enemies. So what's he defending the garden against? Well, that is the Lord revealing that the, the garden and the man and the woman will be subjected to futility, Romans 8. And what are they going to use to protect or guard or watch over all that the Lord has entrusted to, especially Adam? 
They're going to have the Word of God. And if he obeys that, if he, if he gives that to his wife and covers her with that Word, then what? There will be protection. And instead, Adam shirks his responsibility. He lets his wife take that role. And when you crisscross those responsibilities, you get sin. So thank you very much, Adam, for being a great husband. But that happens more often than not to us as husbands. So I want to get serious, men, about our responsibility to look after and to encourage the holiness of our wives. I love what Logan said last night about happiness is, is a side effect of what's going to happen in our marriages if we're following the Lord. But the ultimate, right, is holiness. The ultimate care and love of my wife should lead to her holiness, which will bring happiness in the Lord, but holiness. So verse 25, husbands, I think we've covered that. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To love here is to show great care. And how did Jesus do that? And that's, that's the example that Paul's putting forward. That's the example that Paul always puts forward, whether he's teaching us how to love one another in the body of Christ or whether he's teaching us how to love our wives or love our children. He is putting forward Christ as the example, as the way. And what did Christ do? He gave himself up for her. He, he worked for her good which directly opposes any tyrannical, domineering posture in marriage. There is no room in a Christian household for the man to walk around and to demand respect, to demand that his wife do certain things and be certain things and look certain ways. That's not Christ-like. He works for her good, her holiness. And what did she need? We're talking here about Christ and His bride, the church. What did she need? Well, the simple answer is Him. She needed Him. Outside of Him, there is no hope. Outside of Him, there is no righteousness. Outside of Him, there is no reconciliation to God. And so they remain, uh, as by nature, children of wrath, under the wrath of God, without Him. What do our wives need? Well, it would be the same. They need Him. The Word, specifically. I am not my wife's greatest need. You are not your wife's greatest need. At times, you may be her greatest desire, but we are not her greatest need. She needs Jesus. And by keeping that in mind, we structure our love and efforts Uh, and care for her in the right way. Jesus gave Himself for His bride because that's what was best for her. Read the book of Hosea. Hosea has to experience what that looks like 
what that looks like in the context of how God is dealing with Israel. An adulterous whore. But she's his. And, and he is about her holiness. And he's going to make sure that takes place. Look at verse 26. He did this that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of, the water, of water with the word. He made her holy, or else she would be lost in her unholiness. You're not going to make your wife holy. But Jesus is. And so, are you bringing her to him? Do you know where holiness and righteousness is to be found? Do you know that unless she sees Jesus now, she will not see Him later? And unless she sees Jesus now, you will not have as beautiful of a wife in marriage as you could have. Jesus is redeeming all the time the things that we experience as fallen creation. And he is bringing back, like we saw last night, the revelation of the mystery of marriage which was established and designed by God before time to present to the world this glorious picture of the Gospel. I tell people all the time in premarital counseling, marriage is the illustration. It is, it is not the, the end. It is not what we're moving forward to. Temporary activity, as Brother Logan shared with us. And in verse 26, it uses this interesting verbal phrase, having cleansed. And if you, if you stop and meditate on that phrasing, that wording, having cleansed, having cleansed, and if you look up this, this Greek structure, if you're so inclined, you'll find that the way this is structured verbally, there's no definite point in time that this happens. But we also know that it is happening and it will be completed with the greatest degree of surety. And I say that to remind you Christ's love for His bride began before the foundation of the world. It began before He created her and she left Him for another who could not make her holy, who could only defile her. And he, Christ loved her in the manner before the foundation of the world that He was about her cleansing even before she was created. If you go back to the first chapter of this letter in Ephesians and verses 3-6, through six, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That what? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the beloved. Do you hear that language? In love, He's predestined His bride to be presented before Him holy and blameless. And if Jesus is going to do something, it will be done. The greatest confidence we have in marriage as men is that as we seek uh, our, our wife's holiness, 
that if God has began that work, He will complete it. So you, you can enjoy your wife at all times if she's in the Lord because the Lord is going to do what He said He's going to do for the people that He's loved before the foundation of the world. And you can wake up every morning uh, despite what happened the night before, despite what's going to happen that day, and you can, you can thank God that all things will work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And that would be you and your wife, I pray. So we trust in God's sovereignty to finish this work of holiness in our lives and in our wives instead of trusting in ourselves. It says He cleansed her. Cleansed her. That's, that's the work of Genesis 2.15. That Adam couldn't do. That Adam didn't need to do at that point in time. She was clean. But that Adam would be unable to do when she was unclean. And Christ did it with work. It was toil. It was labor to present Himself as a living sacrifice. It was torture. It was humiliating. But we're told He endured the shame of the cross for the glory that was to be His. So too, we take a, a note from Him and we endure the hard work, the toil, the presenting uh, the truth to our wives even when she doesn't want it, and, and the praying, the consistent praying that the Lord would apply that to her and teach that to her and cleanse her with that word until it happens. So how did or how does he do this? Well, it says, by the washing of water with the word. If I could, if I could summarize that, I would say that she is word cleansed. Word cleansed. Jesus says in John 15.3 to His disciples, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 1 Timothy 4, 1-5, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Now listen to this. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Do you see what he just told us? Jesus said, you're clean by the word I speak to you. The word of truth, the gospel, that you are made righteous by me. You're forgiven. You're, you're pardoned. Your sins have been paid for by me. I'm declaring that to you. If you believe that, you're cleansed. And then Paul says here in 1 Timothy that there are people that are, that are distorting what God has presented to the world as a good thing, whether they be foods or whether they be marriage. And he said those things are made holy. How? By the word of God and prayer. So we're word-cleansed people. 
The Word speaks to us how to be cleansed. The Word speaks to us how to be pure and holy. The Word is what does it. And we pray knowing that only God can apply that and do that work in our wives and in our own hearts. If we believe, right, that God created this world by His Word, <clears throat> then why don't believe we believe that He creates and cleanses a pure bride by His Word? In other words, especially men here, but women also, <clears throat> we have to be students of this Word. This is the way. This is the life. This is the food. This is the protection. This is where we hide ourselves in the rock and put ourselves under the wing of, of God. This is where we find rest and hope and holiness. These are, the, these are the words that we pray over our wives. This is what we toil in to be able to apply to her when she's in need. And if we believe He creates by His Word, then He's going to create a pure and holy wife by His Word. Not by a self-help book. Not by a famous influencer. But by the Word. And wives, if your husband is faithfully doing this, and you're rejecting him and his leadership and his, and his applying the Word to you so that Jesus cleanses you, you are acting more as a daughter of the Garden of Eden than you are a daughter of the cross. And there are times when truth is hard to swallow. And you don't want your husband to be right. Amen? You don't want, you don't want him to tell you what the hard truth is because that's, that's not what you want at the moment. But when you reject Him doing that, you are rejecting what Jesus is redeeming in this world. In marriage. Sometimes, commentators and preachers might say that this washing of the water with the Word refers to baptism. Well, I would disagree Matthew 3.11, Jesus or John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will refine you. He'll make you holy. He'll, he'll implant His presence there with you so that you have a desire, so that you can walk in holiness. So that should lead us to say, well, what's the Spirit do? John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The, the, the main thing that the Holy Spirit does is not whip us up into a charismatic frenzy. The main thing that the Holy Spirit does is remind us of what Jesus has said and apply that to our hearts at the right moment John 16, 13-14, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Translation, He's going to take My Word and apply it, and as you're made holy by it, I'm glorified in that making you holy. Because the source of it is not going to come from us. 
it's going to be something completely outside of us. And people are going to have to recognize that at the final day when the sons and daughters of God are revealed in glory, people are going to have to recognize where that came from. They're also going to have to recognize that they rejected that. Side note, going back to Genesis 2.15, how does he keep or protect with the word? Listen to Ephesians 6.17, just one chapter over. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus is the word. We know that from John 1. He's the Son of God. Know that from the Gospels? The sword of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the helper. He takes Jesus' words and he applies it. So do you see when we all put on this full armor of God that's talked about in Ephesians 6, this, this amazing part of the armor is the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. You see the triune God working together to bring holiness to His people, to be able to um, fend off temptation and the darts and the slings and arrows of the evil one. So that holiness prevails. It all comes back to the Word of God. Practical application. 1 Peter 3.7 Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Brother Isaac was so kind to share with me an excerpt from a book that you all should pick up. It's called The Masculine Mandate by Richard Phillips. It was put out by Reformation Trust and Ligonier Ministries. And in that excerpt he sent me, basically, uh, Dr. Phillips is examining 1 Peter 3, and he's asking this question, essentially, do you know what's going on with your wife spiritually? Because the word live here in the Greek means to commune with, means to have relationship with community. You know what's going on in her life. More specifically, what's going on in her heart. And if you're focused on that, if you're paying attention to that, then you know, husband, what she may need from the Word, if you know the Word of God. If you don't, then you have nothing to give her. You can sympathize with her. You can listen and nod your head, right, like a good husband. But you have nothing to give her. So holiness is not gained. Gained. You know, uh, I'm reminded of this. Um, my dad and uh, his family has always been in ag, and I worked for him for a number of years, and I always hear, you know, talking about these guys that would come into his shop and, you know, they always leave and people are like, oh, he's a hard worker, hard worker. And then you pull back the curtain and you examine their home life, their family life, their wife. It's a mess. But they're a hard worker, by golly. You know, that's, that's minor league if you're just a hard worker. I want to see men who apply the Word of God to what their wives are dealing with as the weaker vessel. I want to see them stand in the place that the Lord has commanded and mandated for them as Christ to her 
<clears throat> in that relationship so that the world may see what happens when Christ's word is applied to this woman. That you can come back before the people that were at your wedding in 5, 10, 15, 20 years and they won't recognize the woman that came down the aisle. And what will you say? I know the Bible really well and I taught her it and so she's really awesome. No. You'll say, Jesus is cleansing my wife and making her holy. It's His Word. Therefore, it's His glory. So what's all this for? Well, we touched on a little bit of that last night, but I think basically you could say it's for Jesus. But look at verse 27. So that, that's a key phrase, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. There Paul reveals to us why Christ is doing this. The word splendor there talks about beauty. The word spot talks about soiled clothing, discolorations, impurity, wrinkle, the effects of age, which would equal what? The effects of the fall. We age in the way we do because this world is decaying and dying. So are our bodies. And what Jesus is doing is removing all those effects of the fall and transforming her <clears throat> into this redeemed, restored, holy creation to be gathered together with the rest of His church, His body, to be presented before Him without those effects of the fall. And, and so the question that I want to leave you with is are you about the same things that Jesus is? Are you so revering, so fearing God that if He is going to give to His bride His blood, His precious life, then we need to recognize that is the most valuable thing to him. And you and your wife are included in that. That's why he goes on to say, no one ever hated his own body, but nourishes it. We need to be about what Jesus is about. If we love Jesus, we love what Jesus loves. I know this, Jesus loves my wife more than I do. How can I honor his love for my wife? By loving her like this. By, by giving her the Word. So that she can stand in the day of trouble whether I'm there or not. Because Jesus is with her. So I want to ask um, men especially to meditate on what Jesus is about. And apply that to our wives. And watch what happens with the families of the church who are covered and bathed in the Word and prayer. How effective that will be when you go to a ball game or a city hall meeting or to work. And people are going to say, why do you love your wife that way? My wife's a old ball and chain. And you can tell them the Gospel. <clears throat> 
So I want to give you guys a few moments here just to respond to the Lord. However He's spoken to you, respond to Him. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to thank Him for revealing to you what you need to do going forward. I don't know what it is. He spoke to you. I didn't. And then as you've had a few moments silently to respond, then I'll close this in prayer. So respond to the Lord. Oh, Father, we bring ourselves before You in the name of Jesus, and we want, Lord, I hope we want to um, be humbly submitted to Your will for our lives. And as You reveal it, Lord, I pray You'd empower us by that Spirit to do it. I pray that the meditations of our heart would be pure in Your sight and that those meditations would be about the Gospel and how that applies to our marriage. And Lord, may You gain all the glory for the good that is wrought by the Gospel in our marriages. So please, Lord, empower that. Do that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.